Welcome. I'm always amazed uh, when we have outdoor worship, which isn't very often. This is a special occasion, but there's always kind of a, a seating line according to where the shade line is. And so hopefully you're comfortable. You got a little shade if you enjoy the sun. There's plenty of room right up here, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's a great day. Today is a lot of fun. And uh, not only are we going to have games and activities for everybody of all ages, uh, we got to, uh, it's not just any lunch, this is Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, it is November, and so it's time to have some turkey, right? And uh, so it's going to be a great Thanksgiving dinner, praise the Lord, and, uh, and then we will make our way back here and, uh, and have all kinds of uh, fun things uh, there is a photo booth here, face painting, carnival games for the kids, a bounce house. Uh, we'll have bingo in here. But the best thing you can't even see right now, and, uh, and that is we, we thought we were going to have a climbing wall on the basketball court, but it's too big. So it's going to be in the parking lot. And uh, so it's set up. You can't see it right there unless you got a special angle, maybe these over here. Uh, but it's a 26-foot climbing wall, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to go up that wall, I guarantee you. Uh, but uh, I, anyone can t uh, you know, try your hand at it. In fact, I'd recommend using both your hands and both your feet. Uh, but if you uh, do, uh, no matter how uh, tall it seems, you're going to be okay because you'll have a safety harness and a rope. And so if you fall, you're going to get caught. You know, I, I say that because I recognize a lot of us have fear of heights. Yesterday we had a work day, and I saw Pastor Darren sitting on the roof right in the corner there trying to get all the pine needles out of the gutter, and I said, Pastor Darren, are you afraid of heights? And he's sitting right on the corner, and he says, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I thought, you got the wrong job, my friend. Come down and wash a window. Uh, but praise the Lord, he was willing to get up there. A fear of heights is a common fear. But I can tell you one guy who definitely does not have the fear of heights, and that is that guy. Alex Hanold is probably the, the world's greatest rock climber. And, uh, and I don't know how well you can see that picture, but what really amazes me about that picture is he has no safety harness on and no rope. He, he does what he calls free solo climbing. He climbed El Capitan Mountain in Yosemite, just one of the hardest uh, faces to climb, with no rope. 3,000 foot climb. If you think 26 feet is hard, this is 3,000 feet. Did it in four hours. And usually when a rock climber gets uh, tired, they'll, they'll fasten in and they'll lean back and the rest. Can't do that when you're free soloing, free solo climbing. And uh, so he is, uh, he's, a, he's an amazing climber. I recognize that when we think of things that bring fear and anxiety in our lives, we've gone through a lot the last few years. And, uh, and in this sermon series that we've been going, Find Your Footing, we've talked about how life is always difficult, but it seems that it has been especially difficult the last few years. It started with the fear of the coronavirus, an unknown disease that, that uh, was spreading across the world and, and then across this country, and that had, its, that had effects on all kinds of things that affected uh, 
our daily lives. We were told shelter at home. And so people didn't go into work and uh, students didn't go into the classroom. And we as a church didn't meet in person for a while. Uh, and it was and it was because we were trying to be safe, but but there was these fears, anxieties, and uh, and that led to other things that had a drastic effect on our economy, that had a drastic effect on us psychologically, the isolation and 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 uh, the the being at home. It had a drastic effect on. I know this to be true. Many people had a drastic effect on them spiritually, where they lost connection with their with their church or even lost connection with the Lord. And so we recognize that this world is a topsy-turvy place. And, uh, and we've been going through Isaiah 40 through 52. We're going to end in 52 in, at Christmas time. And, uh, uh, but Israel was facing almost a parallel situation that we have been going through. And so we've been finding these truths to be so valuable uh, for our lives. And today we find ourselves in Isaiah 49, and in Isaiah 49, we have some of the most basic truths. So today is not a long sermon, but I want to give you four very, very basic truths that God has for us. In fact, I have, I have confidence that God has a truth for you this morning. And so I want to just go before the Lord and pray and ask that he would speak to us. Speak to us each individually. Speak to us as a church. Let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we know that this is a busy day. We ask that you would focus our hearts and our minds right now on just hearing a word from you. And God, as we do, I, I, I do pray that you would speak to us. God, there, there are many people here that I don't know what's going on in their lives, but you do. And God, I pray that by your spirit that you would be uh, our teacher and that you would apply your word to our lives. So we offer ourselves to you now and offer these words to you and ask that you would use them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so sticking with the rock climbing theme, I've got what we call a carabiner. You know what a carabiner is? It's a little clip, that you, and when you go on the rock wall today, they'll use carabiners, fasten you from the harness to the uh, rope. I got four carabiners because these are going to fasten to our lives the four truths of, of God's word for us today. So in this analogy, the, the rock wall is the difficulties of life that we have all experienced and we continue to experience. It's the difficulties of life. God is the safety harness around our waist. And these are the four truths that secure us to the Lord as we go through the difficulties of life. And so these are four basic truths from, from Isaiah 49, the first of which is God knows you. God knows you. So I'm going to put my carabiner on here. And uh, just a second. That's truth number one. God knows you. Isaiah 49, 1 says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. 
From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. You know, that almost seems like such a basic truth. You're like, who cares? Get on to point number two. The fact that God knows you is quite significant. God knows you inside and out. God knows the hurts, the difficulties. He knows the hopes, the dreams. He knows everything about you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows the things that you'd like to keep hidden uh, from others. He, he knows you inside and out. And the amazing truth is he knows you and loves you. He loves you not for some false version that you create of yourself, that you like to put on a, in a mask or an image, not some paper mache image that you create, create for others to see. He knows the real you and he, and he loves you. And that's an amazing truth. The late, great Milton Burrow, who was a comedian, one of the first uh, people on TV, used to love to uh, form co do comedy shows at old people's homes, nursing homes, at the end of his life because he got a kick out of how seeing people, uh, how, the, how the old people that lived in the homes would, would see this guy they used to see on TV when they were a kid. And, uh, and so he'd get up there and perform, and they'd get a kick out of it. But one night, there was a woman sitting on the front row that just sat there aloof, didn't seem to know who he was or what was going on. And so afterwards he says, uh, ma'am, do you know who I am? Uh, to which she gently replied, no, but if you ask the person over at the desk, they can tell you who you are. <laughs> and, uh, and, so, and, and here's the truth, that God knows you better than you know yourself. Have you ever found yourself uh, saying, why did I react that way? Why did I get so upset? Or why did I, uh, why did I get so excited about that? It's, uh, God knows what, the reason. You might not even know yourself. He knows the inside of uh, the deep recesses of your heart. He says he knows you from your mother's womb. He knows not only your birthday, he knows your death day. And he knows everything about you, and he knows the real you, and he cares about you deeply. And so that brings us to point number two, and that is that your life matters to God. This is carabiner number two that we, that we fasten to hold on to this truth. It brings security to our lives. It fastens us to our relationship with God. Your life matters to God. Verse 6 in Isaiah 49. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. These are solid truths that don't come loose in our lives. All right, there we go. Hopefully that won't fall again. Here's the truth of this passage. Your life matters to God. In fact, this passage says it is too small a thing what you have set up for in your own lives. Speaking of the Israelites. And the same thing uh, applies to our lives. God has wonderful plans for our lives. And sometimes we set our ambitions on far too small of things. We set our ambitions on having a great career, or having great success, having wealth, getting the nice big home, making sure our kids do well at school or on the ball field, or, uh, or just having a, a good time, eat, drink, and be merry, as they say. And none of those things are inherently bad. All I'm saying is, compared to what God has for you, it's far too small a thing. We settle. 
God wants us to be a light to the nations. He wants us to be uh, his representative. He wants us to make an, a difference for all eternity, that we would bring his salvation to the ends of the world. But oftentimes we settle for little stuff instead of what God has for us. The great Christian author C.S. Lewis says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're like a child who is in the back alley forming mud pies and someone comes and says, I've got the greatest vacation you can ever imagine, a private cruise ship uh, it, to the Caribbean, a five-star restaurant on board, everything you could ever hope and dream for. And we're like, no, I like making my mud pies in the slum because we can't get our minds around the life that God has for us. I just want to offer you an invitation this morning. The li a life lived with and for God is the very best life possible. It is a life of infinite joy, as, as uh, C.S. Lewis says here. God wants to be in a relationship with you. If you're not living with or for God, you're getting gypped off. You're getting ripped because the best life possible is to live with him and to make a real difference in this world, your life matters. Everything else is small com potatoes compared to that. But maybe now you're here this morning and you're like, uh, I know this, that my life, that God knows me. And I'm not sure I want God knowing everything about me. And then you're like, here, I, I don't, uh, I feel like my life hasn't mattered. I haven't lived up to what God has for me, well, here's the next truth, that God hasn't forgotten you. That God hasn't forgotten you. Sometimes we think that, that we have messed up, we've strayed too far. Sometimes we go through these difficult things and we think, well, I've God, God, God must be done with me. I don't feel his love. I don't feel his presence with me. He must have forgotten about me. Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. I'm going to tell you an embarrassing story. And uh, I hesitate because this, this is not my brightest shining moment in my life but when when my son Dawson was about I think about three or four months old I'd put him in the back seat of the car and got him buckled in so far so good and uh, we're driving to the barber shop and as soon as I get to the barber shop I my mind must have been racing I go in and I forgot him in the car and uh, fortunately my wife was getting her haircut right before I was, and so she was there. First words out of her mouth says, where's Dawson? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Ran back out to the car, got him, and brought him in. And uh, I forgot about my own son. Uh, it says here in this passage, a mother will never forget. Uh, a mother is not likely to forget the baby at her breast. Chelsea didn't forget, but the passage acknowledges, though she may forget, I will never forget you. God will never forget you. 
And that's a truth that's almost easier to go in here than in here. Sometimes we think that God has forgotten about her, about us. I met with a woman this week in my office, and I called her up afterwards, and I said, as I started digging through this passage, I said, uh, do you mind if I share this story? Because it's, it's so perfect. Uh, do you mind if I share your story? Uh, and she says, if it helps, uh, I, I'd love for you to share. Uh, th- this woman in her late 50s came and met with me, and by the time she was eight years old, she had had enough difficulties for one life. Her father had died at a young age, and then she was abandoned by her mother, and she was living with her aunt and her uncle at the time. Uh, She said many nights she could not sleep, just so many anxieties, so afraid that something else bad was going to happen to her. And And on one of these nights, when she was eight years old, she couldn't sleep. She went into the hallway and uh, turned on the hall light. And, uh, And that upset her uncle that she was living with. And so he immediately stormed out of his bedroom, grabbed her by her PJs, and threw her against the wall. And uh, she said that she remembers that moment as distinctly as it was yesterday, though it happened 50 years ago. And uh, she said it almost like time stood still, and she heard very distinctly, almost in an audible sense, these words in her mind. She heard the words, God has forgotten about you. God has forgotten about you. And she's lived with those lies in her mind for half a century now. And she says, I know it's not true in my mind. I know that God has not forgotten about me. I know that he loves me. But I just can't get those words out of my mind. God has forgotten about you. So I said, there's nothing I can say to you that will help. You know it all. The only thing I know to do as a pastor is let's just go before the Lord in prayer. And as we prayed, I let it be silent, and I'm praying here silently as, as I, and just asking God, please speak to her some truth that she can hang on to. And when we were done praying, I said, did God say anything? And he, she said, yes, he did. I said, well, what did he say? She said, he repeated two words over and over again to me, and that was, stop fighting. Those were the two words that she heard stop fighting because we go through our battles in our life and we try to take on those battles ourselves we're we're trying to fight the battle and and we don't think God is there and and what what God was telling her was stop fight let me be in control let the battle belong to the Lord And she said that when she heard those words, those were words of hope that she hasn't heard for 50 years. For some reason, those were the two words that made sense to her. Stop fighting. It's not that God has forgotten her. It's that she's tried to uh, muster up enough strength to be good before the Lord on her own. And God says, you can't do it. Stop fighting. Receive what I have for you. And so that leads us to our last truth. And that is to hope in God. To hope in God. Which I think is the positive way of saying, stop fighting. Let the Lord take charge of your life. 
Isaiah 49, 23 says, I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. What a spectacular promise. Those that hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. Sometimes we use hope as kind of a pessimistic thing. Well, there's rain clouds on the horizon. I hope it doesn't rain on us today, which what we're saying is it probably will. Uh, Astros won the World Series last night. I hope the Dodgers win it next next year, which what we mean is they probably won't, which they probably won't. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it's much different. It's a, it's a positive thing. It is a trust. It is a full confidence that God's got you. Uh, to hope in the Lord means that we know these four truths to, be, uh, to, to have our lives anchored upon it, that God knows you, that, that uh, you matter to the Lord, that God has not forgotten you, and that you hope in the Lord and, uh, and it will not disappoint. These are the four truths that God has for us today. You know, when I was in college, I lived in Minneapolis, and uh, on the freeway, there, uh, there was a bend in the road, and every time I drove it, I, I'd notice a church that was up on the hill, and it had three words, and a big sign. Couldn't miss it when you're driving on the freeway. It simply said, hope in him, taken from these verses in Isaiah 49. Today, you are here this morning, and you're coming around the bend in your life, and these are the three words that God has for you. Hope in him. Hope in God. Why is God speaking that to you this morning? What is it that you need to hope in him about? You know, with all the fun going on today and the great meal that we have, the most important thing that's going to happen today is how you answer that question. What is God calling you to hope in him for? What is the difficulty? What's the relational strain? What's the trial? What's the, what's the, what's the sadness in your heart that God is calling you to hope in him? Let's go before the Lord in prayer. As we uh, bow our heads to pray, um, uh, there's a prayer tent in the corner of the lawn here today. And uh, you're invited to go and meet with the prayer counselors that will be under that prayer tent. They'll be here for this final song. In fact, we'll have prayer counselors in the prayer tent all afternoon. There's something special about gathering with someone else to place our hopes and our concerns before the Lord together. Father God, I thank you that you are a God who can be trusted, that you are a God who can be hoped in. God, I thank you that you know each person here with all the billions of people on the face of this earth. You know them individually and you love them. Their life matters to you. You haven't forgotten about them. And God, I pray that today would be a day that each person here is able to place a little bit more of their hope in you. Maybe there's someone here today that's never placed their confidence in you. God, I pray that today they would recognize that the very best life possible would surely be a life that is lived with and for their creator. And that is true. God, I pray that you would give them the gift of salvation that your love would take root in their heart.
God, I thank you for the truths of your word. And I pray that you would drive them deep into our hearts. You are the Lord, and all who hope in you will not be disappointed. In Jesus' name, amen.